Welcome to Good Friday at Rock Creek Church. We are online. Uh, thank you so much for joining us as we really spend some time reflecting on this interesting night where, from a church calendar standpoint, we reflect on Jesus' death, his crucifixion, and what that must have been like, one, for him, but two, for his disciples who thought that all hope was lost. But we know as we reflect on tonight that it's ultimately the cross that accomplishes our salvation. Jesus accomplished all that was needed for us on that moment, on that tree. So as we sing tonight, I just want to encourage you again, turn up the volume, sing along, worship. Don't let this just be a show, but participate. Uh, but we're going to start with nothing but the blood. away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the
this first song, I want to take some time really to push Easter. Um, typically, we would do announcements later. We're not really doing much announcements tonight, but I really just want to help us as a church family to push for Easter. And what I mean by that is I know that many of you, if not most of you, are planning on, on joining us for Easter, but I really want to encourage you to invite, invite, invite. We have an incredible opportunity to invite people to our church service, but in their own living room. And they can wear their pajamas. They can come as they are. They don't even have to be seen. And um, for some people, that removes all the major roadblocks for attending a church. So we have a great opportunity in front of us. Just want to encourage you to invite. Um, check out our website. We have a new Easter page on there as well. There's a, an image that you can download and share on your social media pages as well. But just, again, want to encourage you to push, push, invite. You never know how God may use an online service to, to change someone's life. Could use a simple message, a simple gospel message for someone to wake up and realize their need for him. So with that, um, let's continue on and just worship him, reflect on this night and to express our love for him. I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee, O love, all things of sin I resign. My gracious Just my part 
of scripture, one that you may be familiar with, you may not be, but this one is often referred to as the suffering servant. It's a picture of Jesus found in the book of Isaiah before he was ever born, um, but this was foretold of him, and this describes who Jesus was a little bit and what he went through for our sake. So beginning in Isaiah 52, verse 13, I want to invite you to extend your arms wherever you're at in a receiving posture. Close your eyes if you want or soften your gaze, um, but envision this. Meditate on these words on who your Savior is and what he did for you. It says, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will not see or they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his, in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're going to sing a song called Broken Vessels. It's an adaptation of 
amazing grace. But I wanna invite you to continue reflecting, continue meditating, continue doing your own personal reflection of what it means that Jesus took on your iniquity, your sin. And when he died on that cross, he took your sin with him, it's gone. We are broken people in desperate need of, of a savior.
see the love in your eyes laying yourself down raising up the broken to life Jesus we thank you so much so much for what you've done for us in the cross. As we listen to a message tonight, I just pray that you would draw our hearts closer to you. Help us reflect on what your sacrifice really means for us. Help us to get into the mindset of what it must have been like to actually go through that. For your disciples to actually go through a moment where they felt like things might have been over you may have been defeated, but ultimately this was setting the stage for the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. So, Father, I pray that you would just be with us tonight in a special way. We know you're always present with us, but draw our attention to focus to you in new ways. And uh, we ask for your blessing tonight. Ask that we would honor you in our worship. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, Hello, my name is Dan Montaneri, and I'm one of the elders here at Rock Creek Church. I just want to welcome you to tonight's remembrance of the death of our Savior so many years ago. I wish we could all be together, but because of current situations, we have to all be in our homes. But it helps a little bit that when I think in my mind, I can still see right over here Randy and Sarah, and behind them Amy and the Darnells, and behind them the Bessards, and when I look over to the left in the front row, I see Ethan and Paul and Cheryl and Mimi in the back. So it helps me just to reflect that all of us are still together, even if we are in spirit. Um, we have a virus that's raging across our planet. And for many people, it brings a lot of uncertainty. It brings a lot of stress. Um, sometimes we wonder, where is God in all of this? But tonight, as you listen to, to this story about the crucifixion of Jesus, I want you to take great hope in the fact that God is in control, and you'll see that he plans every detail down to the mi most minute level, and that if he can do that, he can do the same for you. Tonight, we're going to do something a little bit special and a little bit different. Rather than doing a sermon, what we're going to do, I'm going to recount to you the story of what happened in the crucifixion. I'm going to go back to the four Gospels, and we're going to look a lot of the conversations and the events that happened, and hopefully there'll be a few things that you'll learn as I kind of navigate through that whole process. We're also going to do something real unique in this uh, service, and that is we're going to take communion during the message. That might seem a little bit strange, but you'll understand it better. As we get to the part about Passover, if everyone would have their communion elements ready, and I think you'll understand how this all fits into the story, and you'll be able to partake of communion just as the apostles did at the Last Supper. So sit back, and let's go back in time to Israel when Jesus walked among us. The apostles are afraid to go near Jerusalem. The last time they were there, Jesus narrowly escaped stoning. But Jesus has a very important lesson he needs the disciples to learn. Word arrives to Jesus that Lazarus, his friend, is sick. Jesus will say this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Knowing Lazarus is sick, Jesus will remain for two more days where he is at. 
The apostles become concerned. Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? The apostles believe that Lazarus will recover from his sickness. But Jesus informs them, Lazarus has died. Fatalistically, Thomas will say, let us go also that we may die with him. Now they are outside Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. At that point, Mary, Lazarus' sister, comes to meet him with news that her brother is dead. Jesus will tell her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Mary, Martha's sister, has remained home in Bethany. When Jesus finally arrives, she is in tears. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus will ask her, where have you laid him? They walk down the path to Lazarus' tomb. Jesus begins to weep. Even the mourners notice how he loved him. Jesus will tell them, remove the stone. But Martha will uh, proclaim, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead for four days. But several of the men still remove the, the stone from the grave. Jesus will say, Lazarus, come forth. Meanwhile, back at the council chambers in Jerusalem, word of Lazarus' resurrection has reached the ruling council, the Sanhedrin. One of the council members will say, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But Caiaphas, the high priest, will prophesy and say, it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. And thus begins the plot to kill Jesus. All the kings of Israel begin their reign by being anointed. In fact, the title Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. Following the Sabbath on Friday night, Jesus, Lazarus, and his sisters are at the home of Simon the leper. A very rich fragrance will fill the air as Mary begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. Judas will say, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? But Jesus will respond, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. It is now Sunday before Passover. Each family is carefully selecting their lambs to bring home. A large crowd has assembled to see Jesus, and there is electricity in the air. On several occasions, the crowd has wanted to take Jesus and make him king by force, but each time Jesus escaped. This time, however, Jesus will not only allow it, he will plan it. On the Mount of Olives, it is early in the day, and Jesus will tell his apostles, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will set it back. The crowd does not realize it, but before them is the one true Lamb of God. And so begins the triumphal entry on the road to Jerusalem. The Jews have come from far and wide, both for Passover and to see Jesus. Jesus proceeds to ride into Jerusalem as a king, but not on a great stallion, just as Zechariah 9.9 records. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. 
seated on a donkey's colt. The crowd begins to recite the Hallel Psalms. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The Pharisees know what this means, and they are trying to stop it. They tell Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus says, I tell you, if these become silent, even the stones will cry out. As he approaches Jerusalem, he will have in mind the words of Daniel the prophet, who predicted to the day the arrival of Messiah the Prince. Jesus will say, if you had known in this thy day the things which make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The tradition at Passover is to remove all of the leaven from the house. Leaven represents sin, and Jesus is about to remove some leaven. As he enters the temple, all eyes are on him. There is tension in the air. He begins to overturn the tables. Coins are flying everywhere. The animals are released from their cages. Chaos erupts. Jesus will tell them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Jesus will make a scourge and drive the money changers from the temple. No one was expecting this. The Jewish leaders do not like what is happening. They want Jesus arrested. They send their best lawyers, hoping to discredit him in front of the crowd. Instead, Jesus' response only endears him more to the crowd. It is now Monday. The sharpest minds in all of Israel have set out to confront Jesus. The first attempt to trap him are from King Herod's lawyers. They will say, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Why are you testing me, you hypocrites, he said. Show me the coin used for the poll tax. Whose likeness and inscription is this? They will respond, Caesar's. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Next come the Sadducees, who do not believe in the resurrection. And having asked their question concerning the resurrection, Jesus will respond, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Um, the sharpest minds in Israel are set forth to confront Jesus. The first attempt to trap him are King Herod's lawyers. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. Whose likeness and inscription is that? Caesar's, they say. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Next come the Sadducees, who do not believe in the resurrection. And having asked their question concerning the resurrection, Jesus will respond, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Last but not least, the Pharisees will try to entrap him. They will ask a question concerning the law. Jesus will correctly answer their question too, but then he turns the tables on them and shows them how this is really done. He will ask them, what do you think of the Christ? Whose son is he? The Pharisees will answer, the son of David, of course. Jesus will say then, how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? The Pharisees were unable to answer. And from that day forward, no one else 
bothered to question him. The leadership in Israel were supposed to be humble. They were supposed to be servants of the Most High God. The teachers of the law know what God requires. Instead, they use their position to acquire wealth and power. Even worse, they use the word of God to justify their actions. Jesus will rebuke their hypocrisy. The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they are saying things and do not do them. Eight more times he will declare to them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. As he stands overlooking the city, he will proclaim, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. The chief priests and the elders of Israel like to think that they were in charge. The Romans know they are. However, the real power hides in the shadows of hell. In the council chambers in the Sanhedrin, the, count, the chief priests and the elders are now actively plotting how to kill Jesus. One of the council members will say, <clears throat> not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. It appears, though, that no one listens to his advice. They decide if you want to kill Jesus during the Passover, all you need is a traitor. And so they enlist Judas Iscariot, and he will tell them, what are you willing to give me to betray him? They offer him 30 pieces of silver. Judas now begins to look for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. Satan does not want his dominion over the earth challenged. Pay careful attention to how Satan inserts himself into this plot. The Bible will record at this time Satan enters into Judas. You probably want to get all of your communion elements ready because now we're at the portion where Jesus comes to celebrate the Passover. Since the Garden of Eden, mankind has been in bondage to Satan. Passover celebrates freedom from bondage. Mankind needs a savior to release them from bondage. And there is a reason that Mary named her son Yeshua, because his name means salvation. Everyone in Israel is looking forward to the Feast of Passover. The disciples will ask Jesus, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus will say, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? They found everything just as he said. Passover Seder is an elaborate celebration consisting of 15 distinct steps. The Seder is symbolized by four cups of wine, several prayers, washings, and eating of various foods. The apostles are seated at the table as follows. Judas, to the right, is in the place of honor. The youngest person, John, is to his left. And Peter is seated at the end of the table in a position of no distinction. Four cups of wine commemorate the Passover, based on Exodus chapter 6. It says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. Four times God declares, I will. And as a result, there are four cups that are drank during the Passover celebration. 
Growing up, I always thought that the Last Supper consisted just merely of a meal consisting of bread and wine, but I was wrong. Jesus had looked forward to the Passover for a very long time. I earnestly desire to eat the Passover with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I shall never again eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. They will drink the first cup of four cups, the cup of sanctification, corresponding to, I will bring you out. At this point in the celebration, the host normally washes his hands. But Jesus instead will do something completely different. He will begin to wash the apostles' feet. Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you were right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Taking some of the unleavened bread, Jesus will break it and set it aside for later. Then they will drink the second cup, the cup of deliverance, based upon, I will deliver you. After this, Jesus will dip his bread into some of the bitter herbs, and he will say, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Peter, at the end of the table, whispers down to John to ask him who it is. John will lead on the Lord's breast and say, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, It is the one whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. Jesus then takes some bread, dips it in the bitter herbs, and gives it to Judas and tells him, What you do, do quickly. Judas gets up and leaves. The rest of the apostles will continue with the main meal. And now comes the part that we understand as the Lord's Supper. After the meal, Jesus will retrieve the piece of unleavened bread that he had broken earlier. He takes the bread and blesses it and says, Take, eat, this is my body. Holding the third cup, the cup of redemption, corresponding to, I will redeem you, he gives thanks, and then he tells them, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There is a fourth and final cup. It is called the cup of the acceptance. Corresponding to, I will take you to be my people. It is at this time that Jesus says, But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it, and you with you in my Father's kingdom. After the Passover Seder is completed, Jesus will sit down with his disciples and proceed to give them instructions concerning what is about to happen. He knows he is about to be put to death. And he also knows the apostles will not understand all the events that are about to happen. Nevertheless, he wants them to know that God is in control. At this time, he will share some of his most profound teachings with them, including, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The apostles are hearing the words, but they have no idea what he means. It does not take long before they begin to argue about who is the greatest. Simon, Simon, behold... Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail you. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter is in disbelief. He would never betray Jesus. Jesus will tell him, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. After the Passover, they leave and go over to the Mount of Olives. At the bottom of the Mount of Olives is a garden. It is called the Garden of Gethsemane. A Gethsemane is a large round stone used for pressing oil from olives. Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And this name seems only fitting as Jesus is about to be pressed so hard he bleeds. It is nighttime in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has come to the garden with his apostles to pray and he will tell them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. He will go a short distance from them and begin to pray alone. Jesus has known all along that his purpose is for coming to the earth. The reality of the cross weighs heavy on his heart. His sweat becomes like drops of blood falling down on the ground. And he will pray, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When he returns, he finds the apostles asleep. Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. A large crowd approaches, some 600 men with swords. Someone must consider Jesus to be very dangerous. Nobody is going to touch Jesus, though, unless he allows it. Jesus is about to show everyone who really is in control. Judas and the Roman cohort approach. Jesus will say, whom do you seek? They will respond, Jesus the Nazarene. He will say, I am he. At these words, the approaching crowd falls to the ground. Judas gets up and identifies Jesus with a kiss. As the guards approach, Peter will cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. Stop, no more of this. And he touches Malchus's ear and heals him. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Their Bible records that on a single night, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. A legion is somewhere between 1,000 to 1,500 men. This many angels could easily have killed over 2 billion people in a single night. And Jesus will tell them, put the sword into its sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? They take Jesus away, and in the following hours he will face no less than six trials. Two of the trials will be conducted at night, even though it is forbidden by Jewish law. Jewish law also forbids any trial occurring over Passover, but that doesn't seem to stop anyone. Conviction also requires the testimony of two witnesses, but the trials are unable to get any witnesses to agree. The first trial will begin with Annas, the retired high priest. Annas questions Jesus about his teaching, and Jesus will say, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews come together, and I spoke nothing in secret. One of the officers sucker punches Jesus. Is that the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? Meanwhile, outside, Peter is warming himself by the fire. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? A young girl asks. Peter says, I am not. And another person says, did I not see you in the garden with him? But Peter will respond, I do not know the man. As Peter finishes speaking, a rooster crows for the third time. The second trial 
is before Caiaphas, the high priest, Annas' son-in-law. A witness will say, this man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Caiaphas will ask Jesus, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? Jesus remains silent. Finally, in frustration, Caiaphas says, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus responds, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Caiaphas will respond, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? He deserves death. They will wait until dawn. And in the meantime, Jesus is spit and beaten by the Jewish guards. The leaders will even proclaim, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Trial number three is before the Sanhedrin. Just as dawn arrives, the Sanhedrin assemble and vote to put Jesus to death. They send him bound to Pilate. In the meantime, Judas will try to return the 30 pieces of silver he was paid. Judas will say, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. The priests refuse to take back their money. What is that to us? See to that yourself. Judas casts the silver coins to the floor and goes out to hang himself. In Zechariah 11.13, it is recorded, Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Trial number four begins before Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate will ask him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responds, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate will say, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate asks, so you are a king? And Jesus says, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I have been born and for this cause I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my words. Pilate responds, what is truth? Pilate, seeing no wrong committed, attempts to release Jesus. He will bring him before the people and say, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or the Jesus who is called the Christ? The Jews will respond, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Pilate, in confusion, says, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Crucify him, they yell. Pilate responds, Why? What evil has this man done? I found no guilt in him, demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. The Jews still respond all the louder, crucify him. Not wanting to be responsible for what happens, Pilate sends Jesus to see Herod. The fifth trial now is Jesus before the king of Judea. Herod has wanted to see Jesus for a long time, but when Jesus comes before him, he says nothing. In mockery, Herod will dress Jesus in a gorgeous robe. Unable to judge him, he will send him back to Pilate. The sixth trial now begins again before Pilate. Not wanting to crucify him, Pilate will instead have him tortured. The Romans would begin a game they call the king's game. 
They would pretend that a prisoner is a king and mock him and beat him. Their great game is incredibly cruel and brutal. Roman guards will strike him, intending to hurt him in the most cruel way possible. According to Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Isaiah 52, 14 will also record, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any other man and his form more than the sons of men. Their mockery will include placing a crown of three-inch thorns on his head. They have no idea that his crown would be a satanic mockery of Adam's curse. They will proclaim, Hail, King of the Jews! After completing their savage brutality, they return Jesus to Pilate. Pilate wants no part of this. Surely after seeing Jesus in this condition, the crowd will be appeased. Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him, says Pilate. Jesus now stands before the crowd, badly beaten and bloody, wearing a crown of thorns and a king's robe. Pilate will proclaim, Behold the man. Pilate is appealing, is appealing to the crowd to relent, but they holler all the louder, Crucify, crucify. Pilate says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. They respond, we have a law, and by that law he ought to be, he ought to die because he has made himself out to be the son of God. Pilate, hearing these words, becomes very troubled. He approaches Jesus and asks, where are you from? Jesus does not answer. Pilate says, do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus will look directly into the eyes of Pilate with the intensity of a burning bush. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivers me to you has the greater sin. Pilate again attempts to release Jesus. If you release this man, they cry out, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Shall I crucify your king, he asks. We have no king but Caesar. Pilate reluctantly relents and hands Jesus over to be crucified. It is approximately 8 o'clock in the morning. Jesus is now forced to carry a heavy wooden beam to Golgotha in order to be crucified. Golgotha is the place of the skull. As Jesus is forced to carry the cross, the burden becomes more than he can bear. Simon of Cyrene is pressed into serve him, service to help him carry his cross. At this same place some 4,000 years ago, Abraham would offer his son. When God intervenes, Abraham proclaims that God will himself provide the sacrifice. Today, God fulfills what he had spoken to Abraham so many years ago. At the limits of human exhaustion, Jesus continues on. Only the love he has for mankind compels him forward. No man can take his life but on his own accord, he will freely lay it down. The witnesses of the crucifixion include his mother, Mary Magdalene, and several other women. John is the only one of the apostles at Jesus' side. The guards offer him wine mixed with gall, but he refuses to drink. His kingly robe has been replaced with his own robe, his only possession. They rip off the robe, which has now been caked with blood 
from the wounds on his back, and they throw him to the ground. Large nails are pounded into his wrists and his feet. Above his head they put the charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. But the Jews respond, Do not write that, the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate responds, What I have written, I have written. A closer examination of the sign shows that the precise wording spells out Y-H-W-H. Pilate knew exactly what he was doing. It is between the mornings at 9 o'clock. The morning sacrifices at the temple have begun. Crucifixion is death by suffocation. Any attempt to speak is extremely difficult. His seamless robe is too valuable to destroy, so the guards begin casting lots for it. Jesus, in great agony, will lift himself and proclaim, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The crowd begins to mock him. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Even the leaders proclaimed, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. Two thieves are crucified along each side of him. The first will say, you are not the Christ, save yourself and us. The second thief will respond, do you not even fear God? Since we are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we have received what we deserve in our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The thief will tell him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus will respond, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus looks down lovingly at his mother. Her face is puffy and red from nonstop crying. He will say, woman, behold your son, and turn to the apostle and say, behold your mother. As noon approaches, a darkness so thick you can feel it covers the land. According to Psalm 22, it states, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Every careless word, every wicked deed that all of us have committed will be borne by the Savior as he hangs on the cross. The weight of the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, is now upon him. He will cry out, Eli, Eli, lawa sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At Passover, Jesus did not drink the third cup, the cup of redemption, and now he proclaims, I am thirsty. Now Jesus will accept some sour wine. Jesus drinks now the third cup, the cup of redemption. Sin has burdened mankind with a debt it cannot pay. Only our kinsman redeemer can purchase our freedom. With that, Jesus will cry out to Telestai, paid in full. A great earthquake shakes the land. The veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. It is 60 feet tall and four inches thick. The way into the Holy of Holies has been purchased at a tremendous price. It is now between the evenings, three o'clock in the afternoon, just as the evening sacrifice is being offered in the temple. Jesus will say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Savior of the world has died. Those who have witnessed this event are visibly moved. 
Even the centurion will proclaim, truly, this was the Son of God. It is now late in the afternoon, and a soldier grabs his spear. He pierces Jesus just below the heart. Water and blow flow to the ground. Just as the scripture says, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Mary now leaves. She is overcome by the death of her son. All of the apostles, save John, are nowhere to be found. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the body of Jesus down from the cross. They lay his body in the garden tomb. A great tragedy has occurred. There is sadness everywhere, but there is rejoicing in one place, in the halls of Satan, for Satan has killed the Son of God. Evidently, the word spoken in Eden concerning the Messiah, crushing his head was not going to be so bad after all. But Satan should have paid closer attention to the words of Jesus when he said, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. We have heard an account of a most tragic event, an event that was necessary to procure the salvation of all of us. Tonight, I want you to take a little bit of time, reflect on these words, meditate on what Jesus Christ has done for you, um, and come back and join us because there's more to the story. Thank you all. God bless and good night. sing, but reflect on the words that you sing as we respond to the cross.
sing is uh, it's called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I think the remarkable thing about reflecting on a story like this is how personal it is to us that our God would go to that extent for you and for me. So not to uh, uh, not to steal the glory from Jesus because I think ultimately his glory is, is expressed in each and every sinner that is saved by his grace, right? But I want us to focus on his love for us in this last song, to know that the depths of his love that he's poured out on us through the cross, through the, the whole Easter story, that whole weekend. So let's sing this together. How deep the Father's love for us Sons to glory. 
upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him greatest victory the world has ever seen, the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. I pray that you would help us to uh, reflect on this more and more throughout this weekend, that you would help these truths, help your story sink deep into our soul, that we would know that this is our story. This is not just a story that lives 2,000 years ago, but this is the story that you wish to envelop all of us in more and more. So Jesus, we thank you and ask that you would do miracles in and around us this weekend. Use us in miraculous ways to reach those around us, our, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, people 
that may be really fearful, may be running around without hope right now. I thank you for the hope that you give us. And Jesus, in all of this, would you be glorified. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Rock Creek Church, with that, one last push. We'll see you Sunday morning for Easter. Please, please, please invite and pray about it. Know that God truly loves each and every person that you come in contact with. And you don't know what a small invite might do, what an online service might do. Ultimately, it's not us that saves them, but God will use any means necessary to save those who he's calling to himself. So we're so thankful for you, grateful for you. Have a great weekend and we'll see you Sunday.